0: Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. If I preach the whole chapter, we'd be here all day. And if I preach the whole chapter, I'd want to preach chapter 4 first. Because the context is awesome. So we're just going to dive in the middle here. And I trust I am not doing any damage to the context. But for the sake of brevity on our topic today, we're going to dive in and hit verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. We say compels. compels. It's the New King James. I think other translations says constrains. God's love moves us. It's not our love for Christ that compels us. It's His love for us that compels us and generates love for Him. We love Him because He first loved us. So He's the first cause, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So God came first, and for God so loved the world that he gave his Son. So the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. If one, capital one, capital O-N-E, died for all, he did it for all, then the benefits of what he did is for all, right? The scriptures say that we are worthy of death. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We need a Savior. We need redemption. And so Jesus redeemed us, so we're all redeemed. And so he, as God's representative, as God, became our substitute and died a death. He wasn't worthy of dying. He took our place. That was my cross. That was our penalty. That was humanity's punishment. And he did it for us as our representative, as us. Like a child that gets in trouble with the law and daddy steps up and pays the fine. Dad gives a hand and helps. God gave a hand and helped. He sent himself. He sent his son wrapped in flesh. God reconciled the world to himself we're about to see. So if he died for all, then all have died. The penalty's already been paid. We can't hold our sins against each other. We already have been punished in Christ. In Christ, we have been punished in him. Stay with me. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So in Christ we died, and in Christ we rose from the dead, not so that we could live selfish, self-centered lives, but so that we could live lives that are being compelled by his love. A certain amount of that is going to go over your head, but I hope you get a little bit of a grasp of it. That in Christ we died, he died for us, it became ours. Let's say you need me to go go to the store and get you a loaf of bread. So as your representative, I go get a loaf of bread for you and bring it to your house. You didn't go to the store, but you had the benefits of my going to the store for you. So the end result is as though you went to the store. So Christ went to the cross for us, and the end result is justice has been served. It's as though we went to the cross. He represented us. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one. Can we say no one? one. According to the flesh. What does that mean, according to the flesh? It's according to our unredeemed nature. According to our fallenness. According to our wickedness, the flesh is a word often in the scriptures that's synonymous with wickedness. Not talking about our bodies per se, but the nature that made us need a Savior. So, because He died for all, then that means a person I can't stand has had his sins redeemed in Jesus, and that friend needs to call on Him for the benefit of Jesus. So, I don't need to regard that guy, he may be an enemy. I don't need to regard that guy according to the flesh and just label him and judge him as condemned, worthy of nothing but hell. No, Christ came to make us worthy. So I have to acknowledge that God loves a person I can't stand just as much as he loves me. If he died for all, then all died. If he rose from the all, then all have risen. And all need to call on him to receive the benefit of that, of course. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We know that Christ came to the earth, lived a human life, but now he's in heaven at the right hand of God. The right hand of the throne, the position of authority, position of power, sending the Holy Spirit. So we don't know him as the Galilean or the guy from Nazareth anymore. He is described in Revelation as having a rainbow around his head and his feet are like bronze. And He's resurrected. He's glorified. He's received all authority. So just as he has been changed, so we have been changed. And even though we don't see it with our natural eyes, we've got to regard one another in light of the gospel. In light of the finished work. I even have to relate to unbelievers on that level. Some people are calling unbelievers pre-Christians. If they knew you did that, they wouldn't like that. But if it helps, your perspective on humanity would be good. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, without reading the context, you read that and you think it's all about you. It's not. It's all about us. It's all about everyone. So that means if my enemy is in Christ, he's going to become a new creature, and all things are going to become new. The person I am annoyed by, but I know he's in the kingdom, I know he or she's going to heaven, they're in Christ. We have to see them through new eyes. They are new creatures. May the Lord help our eyes to open more and help help to facilitate the change in their life that's being wrought quicker. Now all things, verse 18, are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Another verse says that God has imputed his righteousness to us. So he's not holding or accounting our wickedness against us because Jesus paid the price for it. But not only have we been forgiven, we've been made righteous. Our debit balance has been paid, and now we have a credit balance of righteousness. It's great to be forgiven. It's even better now to be declared righteous. Thank God he doesn't impute our trespasses to us. Amen? But if we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, we can't impute other people's trespasses against them either. That's our old nature, wanting to rise up from the dead. No, that thing died, we rose up as new creatures. New creation, old creation holds people's faults against them. New creations don't. New creations, we've got to look through new eyes through the lens of the gospel that Christ has paid for our sins. He's atoned for the sins of the world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We've got the gospel. We've got a commission to reconcile ourselves with those that are at odds with us, but also commission to help people be reconciled to God. Tell, tell them our testimony, our story of what God has done in our life. Now then, verse 20, we are ambassadors. Tell your neighbor, you're an ambassador now. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. Ambassador is a representative that stands in place of his nation. So God is pleading through us as his ambassadors. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What is Paul doing? He's exercising his ministry as a minister of reconciliation. He's declaring a word of reconciliation as though God speaking through me, be reconciled with God. Get right with God. That's the word of reconciliation. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's come for full circle. He died for all and all died in him. He arose for all, and all arose in him. He became sin for all and punished it so that all might be made righteous. It's all accounted for in him. Not available outside a relationship with him. So this business of discovering the God that is in you, looking to the light that is inside you, finding the consciousness that's always been there, Is not true. It's totally outside of you. We are fallen, and we need help, and the Savior is available. God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And He didn't say, hey, there's a God in you. Discover Him. No. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God except through me. I know that's offensive. I know people would say that's arrogant. But I'm telling you, if it's a truth, it's not arrogance. If somebody asks you how to go to Fort Worth, you say 377 is the best way, the best way. And they say you're being arrogant. You're not. You just tell them the truth. We're the fallen ones. We're the ones in need of a savior, right? Chapter six. He's just flowing on to the same thought. Keep in mind the verses and chapters were put there later to help us find stuff quicker. We then, based on what he just said, as workers together with him. Also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. God's grace is extended to all. All died. He died. All have risen because he's risen. Don't miss this opportunity of grace. Don't hear about it and it be in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Can we say now? Now. This thing has been done. It's been available for 2,000 years. And now's the day to take advantage of it. We serve an all knowing God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. But yet, there's four things He doesn't know He doesn't know a sinner He doesn't love, He doesn't know a sin He doesn't hate. Because it separates us from him. And he doesn't know of any other way to save a sinner that he loves from the sin that he hates other than through faith in the gift of his son. There's no other way. And he doesn't know of a better time to save a sinner that he loves from the sin that he hates other than right now. Well, it's just not time yet. No, it is time. It's time now. It's high time. It's always been time, but it's really time now. Verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed or blasphemed or spoken ill of. So we do not intentionally offend people so that they reject our ministry. What is our ministry? Reconciliation. Helping people find their Savior. So we, it, hopefully we try to live lives that are free of offenses. So, so there's some arguments, especially us as Americans, that we get into ranting and raving about stuff that would cloud our ministry of reconciliation. Because in light of eternity, some of that stuff doesn't matter. It just doesn't. So obviously you've got to stand for principle. You've got to stand for what's right. But do it as offense-free as you can. Be diplomatic about it. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, you are an ambassador. Can you tell someone near you this? You are an ambassador. But we're not just ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. As a boy, I grew up for four years from the age of 90 to the age of 13 in Liberia, West Africa. And three of those years we lived in the capital city, Monrovia. And a highlight of our time as Americans was July 4th. We went to the embassy, which was like Little America. It actually is America. You cross the, the border of any embassy, you become present in the borders of the country where that embassy is. So we crossed the gateway into Little America, celebrating July 4th, hot dogs and Coke and vanilla ice cream and apple pie and fireworks and the star-spangled banner and God bless America and in America the beautiful. It was great. It was a great time of enjoyment. Well, the ambassador that resided there with his staff were not just there as ambassadors arbitrarily. They were there as ambassadors for the United States of America. We're not just ambassadors to be gloating about it. We are ambassadors for Christ. Never forget that. That's what the text says. What does the word ambassador mean? Simplest definition. I asked Siri this. This is what she came up with. (laughs) Ambassador is a diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by one sovereign state to another as its resident representative. Now, when you became a believer, the Bible says you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness where you were a citizen. Translated into the kingdom of his dear son or into the kingdom of light. So now you're an alien on foreign soil. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures were laid up. Remember that old song? Somewhere beyond the blue. We are now ambassadors representing the kingdom of God in this place that's known as the kingdom of darkness. And as Americans, we have a dual citizenship. We are Americans. That's such a blessing. U.S. citizens. Canadians would say, Americans, what are we, sliced cheese? You know, we are U.S. citizens and citizens of the kingdom of God. Dual citizenship. Which one's going to last the longest? That'll tell you which one's the most important. The value of a relationship is based on its longevity. Which one's going to have the greatest longevity? Our relationship with God. So relationship with him is the most important. Our citizenship in heaven is the most important. So we are here as ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of darkness. Churches, local churches can kind of be seen through the lens of embassies. We're kind of like an agency for the kingdom of God, an embassy. May the Lord help us every time we gather together to taste a little bit of heaven, a little bit of the world that is to come, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to strengthen one another, to empower one another, to go out as ambassadors in a dark world. We are ambassadors for Christ. What's involved in this? Ten things. Number one, our ambassadorship involves relating to people through the gospel, through the good news of what Jesus did. Look at what he said in verse 16. We read it a while ago. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Can we say no one? This means we have to relate to unbelievers through the lens of the gospel. It doesn't mean they're not mean they are Believers yet, doesn't mean they're redeemed yet, but the work has been done for that. Christ isn't going to come back and die for them too. He already did. I love the Alpha Course. We've done it one time here. It's ten meetings where people meet together for a meal, and then they listen to a lawyer speak on the different elements involved in the gospel in hopes of leading unbelievers to Christ. And they always begin with the creation of man instead of the fall of man. And the Alpha Course teaches that we were created in the image of God, which is an awesome thing, and the awesomeness of God, and the blessing it is to be granted that honor in all of creation. But we fell. And we need a Savior. That's looking at people through the lens of the gospel. In our microwave society, American Christianity oftentimes has shortchanged people By having them stand on street corners barking at people for their fallenness. You're a liar. You're going to hell. You're a homosexual. God hates you. You're an adulterer, a fornicator. You're going to fry forever. The Bible says if you don't warn the wicked, their blood's going to be on their hands. How's it working for them? Is there any fruit? Not really. They're not relating to people through the eyes of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're relating to people through their flesh. They're not being very good ambassadors. But don't argue with them on a street corner. That's not a good witness either. Because they'll jump on you too and write a banner about you. So God bless them. You've got to see them through the lens of the gospel. Number two, our ambassadorship involves seeing one another as being in Christ. I've got to relate to you, not through your past, but through your present tense reality. You're in Christ. You are a new creation. This isn't just for me to claim, for me to confess, for me to walk in, but this is for me to relate to you and others in. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So our job is to help one another see this. You're in Christ, right? Then things are new. These struggles are going to pass by the wayside. This is nothing but your past trying to come back and haunt you. Put your faith in the Master. He's declared you're a new creation. It's all going to work out. The story's not over. So my brother's no longer an ex-con. My brother is a mighty man of God called to serve the purposes to which he was predestined. Number three, our ambassadorship involves enjoying the blessings of reconciliation. A lot of people are reconciled to God. They're not enjoying it. They're not enjoying it. They're not realizing the beauty of the gospel. The gospel must be preached to all the world as a witness, especially to believers. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with God because we've been reconciled. Well, how come I'm not enjoying that relationship? Have you called on his name? His word promises, the brother of Jesus wrote, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. How close do you want to be to God? Oh, I want to be real close. Well, guess what? You actually are as close to God as you want to be. This is a relationship thing. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. I remember altar calls growing up. Take one step toward God. He'll take two towards you. It's not in the Bible, but the principle is there. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He's not going to impose his will 24-7. Sometimes he will just to give us a wake-up call. But there's a nearness to God available to the child of God that the child will but draw near to him and begin to enjoy the reconciliation. The eternal God of the universe has reconciled to you to himself, so that you can have a close relationship to him. You don't have to look at monks and popes and bishops and cardinals and chief potentates as people who are close to God. You can be a mighty man and an awesome woman of God yourself. It's available. Enjoy it. You want to be a good ambassador? Enjoy. Enjoy it. You know, U.S. citizens, we are incredibly blessed. Incredibly blessed. And we don't want to send any ambassador to another country that's not proud of being an American, not enjoying his citizenship. You know, if the gates ever open with Cuba and we open an embassy there, our government will not send an ambassador there that hates America. It's not going to happen. he will be disqualified he turns anti-American. We have been reconciled. This part of the gospel is offensive to some people because it means... They need a Savior. It means they're lost. It means they need redemption. It means they're wrong, and they need to be made right. John Muir, a naturalist in the 19th century, also a believer, a famous explorer, Muir Woods in California was named after him, did some missionary work in Alaska and wrote about it. In his book, Travels in Alaska, he wrote about an outreach he did to the Flinket tribes, and to the Sitka tribes. Thlinkit and Sitka. And found that they were quick to accept the gospel. He's not used to this. Man, white folks don't act this way. What is the deal? And so one evening, sitting around a fire, he was visiting with them, and they told him what had happened in their history 30 years earlier. There was a bad war going on between the Thlinkets and the Sitkas. And the whole summer... They were fighting each other. It wasn't safe to be out in the open by yourself. And so the women didn't go salmon fishing. The women didn't put salmon out to dry for winter. The women didn't go out berry picking. get dry them and prepare for winter. And winter was coming. Tom Stammen says there's two seasons up in Alaska. Winter and winter's coming. <laughs> so one day, the chief of the th- flinkets approached the fortified dwellings of the Sitka's. It says, I want to talk to you. We're going to starve to death this winter. I don't know about you guys, but we fought long enough. Are you guys tired? We're tired of it. Can we make peace and just end this thing? Enough people have died. and Man, when winter comes, it's not going to be good. We haven't gathered any food. Sitka chief said, fine for you to say because you've had the upper hand. You've killed ten more warriors than we have. Let us kill ten of yours. Then we've got peace. Then justice had been served. The chief said, am I worth ten of my own warriors? Yes. He said, then take me. And he died for his tribe so that peace could be made in the place of ten warriors. And peace was made, and it was still in existence when John Muir went there. They heard the gospel, they said, yes, your words are good. The Son of God, the chief of chiefs, the maker of all the world, must be worth more than all mankind put together. Therefore, when his blood was shed, the salvation of the world was made sure. Stop beating yourself up for your past. Jesus was beaten for you. Stop killing yourself For your present, Jesus was killed for you. Put your faith in Him. Begin to call out to Him. Recognize your wickedness, your fallenness, and your need for His help. Stop defending yourself and blaming others for your wrongdoings. Put your faith in the Master to redeem you and watch what He'll do on your behalf. Blaming others, pointing the finger, all that is is us trying to save ourselves. Fourthly, our ambassadorship involves discerning the weight of our assignment. Not only this is an honor, this is real important. This is real important. This is not something you would give to a dingling. This has been given to us. 2 Corinthians 5:18 says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is continuing the ministry of Jesus is what it is. And has committed to us. He's put it in our hands. The word of reconciliation. Talk about a risk taker. He's done it. It's been given to us. We are ambassadors for Christ. What will we do with it? I read a story of a young man who applied for a job as an usher at a theater. He told the manager, I want to work here. And while being interviewed, the manager said what would you do if this place got hit with a fire and you're here on duty and it's full of people what would you do if this place caught on fire and burned down he says oh man don't worry about me i'll be out of here as soon as i can (laughs) don't worry about that that shouldn't be an issue that's how we are sometimes the world's going to hell in a handbasket thank god we'll be out of here before long I used to go to a church like that, talking about how horrible the world was, and then we'd shout and run because we're going to heaven. is <laughs> isn't enough to get yourself out of the fire. There's others. This is responsibility of reconciliation. Our ambassadorship involves speaking boldly as God's representative. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Does God talk like this? Would you like to go to church? Would you, uh, would you like to hear my testimony? You're not interested in the gospel, are you? No, be bold. We don't send pipsqueaks to be ambassadors. Who's heard of Shirley Temple? That kid was always brave. She grew up and became an ambassador to Ghana and somewhere else, China. She's bold. We don't send pipsqueaks as ambassadors to other nations. God called us to get out of our shell. Well, I have an inferiority complex. Well, you've been redeemed so that God can heal you of that. Amen? If you had one, no longer do. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Our ambassadorship involves speaking boldly. Number six, our ambassadorship involves remembering how that we should live. How we live is a reflection of who we are. We give no offense in anything, 2 Corinthians 6.3, that our ministry may not be blamed. So how we live is important. The gospel is offensive as it is. It's offensive to people that think they're smart, they think they've got it all going on. They like the sound of discovering the God that is in you because that means they're, they're going to be God. Let the gospel be offensive. But let's try not to be offensive. You know, if they're Alabama fans, don't put them down. Welcome them. If you're an Alabama fan, you probably feel right at home today. Crimson Tide has hit the banks. Again, an ambassador is a diplomatic official of the highest rank. The word diplomat means an official engaged in international negotiations, a person who deals tactfully, can we say tactfully? Tactfully with others. Watch your words there's any racism in you or classism in you or prejudice in you, get rid of it. Because it's not going to help spread the gospel. If you're a member of the KKK, cancel it. (laughs) They are not Christian. The cross wasn't burned. The cross was died on so that we could die. All died. Number seven, our ambassadorship involves knowing that this is our role everywhere. Well, it's just not a good day to be an ambassador. Sorry, you already are one. Well, it's not convenient to be an ambassador. Sorry, you already are one. Paul was in prison. Look what he wrote, Ephesians 6.20. I'm an ambassador in chains. (laughs) You just are one. Will you accept this position it has been given to you? Number eight, our ambassadorship involves serving faithfully for the benefit of others. Can we say others? others. The benefit of others. Others. This is, this is what makes us different from the ambassadors of the world. I understand we have a fabulous embassy in Baghdad. And a lot of people serving there have never left the compound. Never really have seen a rock. There's a lot of Christians like that. They want to be in full-time ministry and not view their job as ministry. Oh, if I could just work for the church or if I could just this or that, we're called to be present everywhere we go for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others, not ourselves. Proverbs 13:17 says, A wicked messenger falls into trouble. Uh, wicked is also paralleled in the scriptures with lazy. A lazy messenger falls into trouble. You give some lazy person a task, guess what? Problems are going to come up, and your task isn't going to get done. But a faithful ambassador gets the job done. Not just getting the job done brings health. You entrust a faithful person to be your ambassador, the job's going to be done. You're going to feel better about it and things are going to be improved. Look at what the word health means. It's the Hebrew word "marpe." It means a cure, a medicine, a remedy. Now, this being an ambassador is a team thing. If we're bringing remedies to the world, this is what our ambassadorship looks like. As teams, we're pointing the way to heaven for other people. We're lifting people up. We're making ourselves Pillars so that they can see the kingdom of God. An ambassador brings health. The Hebrew word for ambassador is seer. Can we say seer? It's a herald or an doer or a messenger. We understand that. But it also means an ambassador or a hinge, pain, or pang. Now don't jump off the boat yet. We're almost to shore. Number nine, our ambassadorship involves making right connections, like a hinge. A hinge helps a door to connect rightly to a house, or a house to connect rightly to a door. Our job is to help people make the connection to God. And when it happens, nobody's going to say, oh, look at the great connection. You look at a door, do you say, oh, look at the great hinges? No, you say, look at the beautiful door, look at the beautiful house. It's all about the king making connections with his people. And it's our job, like a bridge, like a hinge, to help connect things rightly so that they properly function. Our ambassadorship also involves, number 10, being willing to be hated if necessary. Like pain or pangs. Jesus said we would be hated of all nations for my namesake. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now, how does a faithful ambassador that brings health, how does pain bring health? Well, pain lets you know something's wrong, right? Without pain, you'd bleed to death. One theory about certain forms of leprosy is it's actually the absence of pain. So when a dog or a mouse comes to gnaw your finger, you don't kick it off, and you wind up getting your extremities eaten away by critters because you can't feel it. The absence of pain is not good. The presence of pain, we hate it, but it serves a purpose. It lets you know it's wrong. Something's wrong. The alarm system's going off in your body. Something's not right. Birth pangs lets a mama know baby's fixing to come. So pain promotes health, right? You see that? So while we're not to be undiplomatic, while we're not to be unnecessarily offensive, we have to stand strong for the principles of the gospel, even if it pains people and they hate us. There's a philosophical virus in the world called anti-Americanism. That virus hit Libya and destroyed our embassy there. And our government still fighting over who did wrong, what was the deal. It was a disaster. Why? Embassies stand for the values of their nation. And we stand for the values of the kingdom of God. We just do. I'm not going to stand on some street corner holding signs and yelling at people. But I'm telling you, it's not a biblical marriage unless it involves a husband and a wife. That's marriage. Anything else is not biblically marriage. They can call it marriage civilly, but biblically it's not. So I'm not going to say the Bible says otherwise just because they want it to say otherwise. You see that? So you stand for the truth of the Scriptures with as much love as you can. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this awesome calling with which you've given us to be your ambassadors. Help us, Lord, to recognize the responsibility that we have, the honor that we have. And, Lord, may we enjoy our citizenship more than we are in Jesus' name. And, Lord, may we relate to other people through the eyes of the gospel, standing for truth even if it causes us pain. Lord, may we be like a burr under the saddle of the devil that we not back down, but we stand strong in faith to what is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand? Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. You're about to enter the mission field out there. You're about to go out of the kingdom of darkness. May the Lord use you mightily as his ambassador? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God Almighty lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace everywhere you go. Go get Him, ambassadors. Your commission. In Jesus' name, amen.